Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. You got your Bibles? Uh, we're going to go Exodus chapter 16. Uh, Last week, we were in Exodus 14 and 15, and so we're moving quick. We're going to go 16 uh, today, and we're in this series called In the Wild, and uh, we're looking at God at work in the Israelites when they're in the wilderness season. And so last week, we talked about the Red Sea, and we talked about growing in faith and their faith in that season, and, and just then beginning to identify how we could walk as a people of faith in our season I wanted today uh, just look at the next chapter in Exodus 16 because it's a great story of God providing. It's a story of God's provision. And so last week, faith in the wild. I want to go today, uh, provision, God's provision, the father heart of God providing, God at work, giving instructions, and then the people of God responding and God uh, taking care of his people. And so we're going to go there, Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to pray, and we're going to go after it. Father, we love you today. And God, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to walk with Jesus in every season. We thank you, Lord God, that we can declare that you are Yahweh. You are the God who saves. You are faithful. You are good. And God, I ask that today, right now, you would give supernatural revelation, strength. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be transformed by the word of God. We pray that we would feast on it, that the word of God would be like daily manna. It would be bread for us. And Lord, that we would turn this truth into sustenance that helps us. We honor you. We love you. And everybody said amen. amen. And then uh, anybody else uh, grow up with your parents owning a station wagon? Just curious. I grew up in a station. Oh, we got a few. Come on, some station wagons. We got one in the back back there. Uh, we grew up. I'm a triplet. We grew up in 1977 Oldsmobile station wagon, wood paneling. And uh, I don't know why Oldsmobile built this, but the very back seat was designed for children to face backwards. And so it was like Oldsmobile was telling children their place um, in the family conversation. Um, so, uh, but we had one of those where you faced, like you sat in, we called it the backpack. If you sat in the backpack, then you looked out the back. Um, and so uh, that was like the kid in the corner. It was like the kid in the backpack. And so anyway, um, but, but I grew up uh, with many conversations. We, had, we call them family meetings in, in the station wagon. And one time um, I'll, I said to my dad in, in response to one of the questions that he was asking, he was, he was kind of drilling down and uh, my, my dad was really committed to making disciples of his kids when they were seven, you know, like, what's up? Like, I want you to quote the Pentateuch when you six, you know, like that kind of father. And so uh, he would drill down, ask questions about our motives. And one time I responded kind of ignorantly, but thinking intelligently, well, dad, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. And so I think da, 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 da. And my dad pulled back and goes, hold on a second, wait a minute. Where does it say God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> I said, uh, I don't know, Old Testament somewhere? I mean, you know, like, I have no clue. And, and of course, I got corrected pretty, pretty clearly that it's nowhere in the Bible. It was just a result of my culture. My culture had placed that idea inside of me of be independent. Make sure that you do all that you can do. 
And it's easy for us, I think, right now in our culture and in our time to want to be independent because we do live in a great nation where we have freedoms and we have the opportunity to create wealth and there's, there's goods and services and there's, you've got some of your own strength. And, and it's very easy in our generation with a lot of technology to just be intentionally independent. And one of the things that God is teaching the children of God here, the Israelites in the wilderness is not independence, but dependence. He's teaching them to be dependent on him. And so in the last chapter, we watched as they came out of the wilderness and God provided the supernatural miracle of the Red Sea. And so God saved them from Pharaoh and from Egypt, but now he's still training them and he's still teaching them and he's training them to to walk closely with them. And he's showing them what he's like, who he is, the kind of God that he is. And he's in this text, for me, mind-blowingly patient and kind. I think for you and for me, it's easy for us because there's so many good things in our lives, it's easy for us to slowly become independent of God, not be dependent on God, but be independent and see ourselves as a source. And when you've had the capacity to create wealth before, you've had the capacity to to become a better leader before or uh, to do some good things on your own, it's very tempting to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I've been here before, I know how to do this and kind of kind of independently look to self as your source. But the very idea that we read here in Exodus 16 is looking to God as our source instead of self as our source. And if you look at self as your source, you'll eventually wear out because you are not God, because you don't have a supply that never runs dry. Your supply of your own strength, your own wisdom, your own abilities, your own talent, your own intellect, all of that is gonna run dry. The only way to live is to have your source be God. And so when you look at right here, these Israelites, they're growing more and more dependent on God and God is the one that sustains them. And like them, if we will grow where we're dependent on God, God will supernaturally be our supply, be the one who helps us no matter what circumstance that you're in. And so the, the, the imagery here is famous. Most of us have heard these stories I'd like to invite us to do more than just hear the story again today. I'd like for you to apply the ideas that cause you to be dependent on God and take steps of faith that demonstrate that you are walking by faith in the wilderness, that you are dependent on God in the wilderness. And just like I said as a kid, it's really easy for us to go, come on, God helps those who help themselves. And kind of subtly what we're saying is, I'm gonna leave God out because I've got talents, I've got skills, I've got some money in the bank, I've got a future, I've got a resume, I've got an education, I know people that know people that know people. And this is a shift towards I need God. God, I am dependent on you. Turns out sovereignty, omnipotence are better than what I got. Turns out your wisdom is greater than mine. So here we go, Exodus chapter 16 story. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if the Israelites said, so this, they're saying this to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. What a grateful people. 
If only we had died by the Lord's death. If only God had killed us in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. We're slaves. We, we, they probably have a memory problem right here. But the way that they're thinking about it probably has to do with some addiction to Egypt. And they're probably not even remembering accurately. But in the grumbling and the complaining, they're telling their side of the story that's probably inaccurate. It sounds familiar for us. But you, there's that. It's just like an attack on Moses. But you, Moses, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Yeah, Moses. You risked your life going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, but you've got a bigger agenda. You want to kill us here. I mean, it's nonsensical. It's crazy. And you hear this grumbling. And as I'm studying this text this week, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to hit that point. That's where I'm going to hit. My first point, I'm going to talk about grumbling. Until I read verse 4, and I just switched the whole thing. Because you got the grumbling, but look at God in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I just thought it comical. What? That is patience from God that blows our mind. I mean, I, I just, I'm just reading that, and I'm just thinking, grumble, complain, attack on Moses. God, you should have killed us. Next verse, the Lord said, here's God's response. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I just think it's interesting to see the patience of God. I just think it's interesting that right here, right now, before we go into anything else, look at the kindness of God. I mean, he goes, I mean, I watched that movie with my kids about... Um, Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. It's cloudy with a chance. I mean, like, what can Disney come up with the best thing in the world? I know. How about if it rains food? God does it. He's like, what's the best thing I can do to grumbling people who are my people that I've just saved? He says, I'm still going to bless you. <laughs> I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. I know. You grew up in Sunday school. You grew up with veggie tales. You grew up thinking that's normal. Stop, pause, bread from the sky. I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's, so, so I just want you to see God's patience with his people in the midst of their grumbling, because I don't think that's how we would think God would respond. We're used to how we respond, right? I took my kids to um, Silver Dollar City. It's like Disneyland in the wilderness. Perfect for my series. And uh, loved it. We had a great day. It was amazing. And, and uh, then as we got into the car, one of my children said something that I felt like was not grateful and grumbling. And I know, I, li- I like to tell stories where I'm the hero of my own stories. You know, that's kind of what you get to do as a preacher. Um, but I'm the villain of this story because I was so impatient. I was so bugged. Like, I just took you to an expensive ride with expensive funnel cakes and just... Man, half my retirement's gone because of what we just did. And, you know, like I, all that kind of going on inside of me. And so, and so I responded to my child with a little bit of impatience. Like, I just, I just let that kid have a little bit what was in my heart. Like, oh, dear. And that's what God, that's what we would think God would do right here. Right? I just, I just, I just saved you from Pharaoh. We just took out 600 chariots. What, what is your deal? Punks? <laughs> Sorry. But God rains down bread from heaven. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. I'm going to take care of you. 
I just look at you right now and I know that for many of you, you think about your own journey and where you've even grumbled towards God and many of you have questioned, is there a God? And if God is this, then why is my circumstance this? And you look back at your own life and you think, man, I look at this, some of the seasons of my life where I've turned my back on God, where I've been angry at God, some of the things I've said, some of the things that I've done, it's, it's easy for you to have in your own mind. God's probably done with me. God's probably mad at me. I just want you to see the God of Exodus 16 that rains down bread on grumbling people that he's just saved. I just want you to be encouraged. He's a God of patience. In fact, if you read in Exodus 34, and we're going to get there, uh, I thought we'd do this in four weeks. Who knows? This is, I've only got uh, this is two weeks in a row. We only moved one chapter. But Exodus 34, he said, just, just listen to the con- content of what God is like. Because Exodus 34, we just get this window. And this comes back all through the Bible. But this is just a great description of what God is like. It says, and, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Big words, compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, slow to getting ticked, slow to getting angry at the child that's grumbling. Slow to anger, slow to anger? Thought he was quick to anger, slow to anger. No, 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 the God I think, no, just what you get it, slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Thank God. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I just want you to see top line, bottom line. He is this God of love and compassion. He does bring judgment and he is this God who is slow to anger. So get locked in your hearts though. No offense towards God is worth it. God is worth following. He's more patient than you can imagine. He's a better parent than you are. He's a better father than you are. He's got patience. I was thinking about um, my sister Dana uh, tells stories. And Deborah and I, we, we always call Dana, um, my parents call her Dana Angel, which is hard for us because <laughs> they don't call either of us angels. Um, so the implication is there for us. And, uh, but but I'm going to go ahead and just throw Dana under the bus today um, <laughs> because Deborah and I need it and I have the microphone. So in second grade, <laughs> you got to go back to second grade to find something on Dana. That's what's crazy though. It's like, it's like crazy. But <laughs> uh, Dana tells a story about how in second grade, uh, she got caught cheating. What's up? What kind of angel does that? Mm. I'm just going to move on, D. Let's just leave it there and move on. No, just kidding. And... Uh, she tells the story of getting caught and then going and expecting my mom and my dad to just be so mad. And she tells the story of my mom having great patience towards Dana, taking her on a walk and showing compassion to Dana and saying, Dana, if you can finish second grade without cheating again, I'll buy you a ring. <laughs> I don't know what you think about that parenting, but that's some patience right there. That's the opposite of what I felt coming out of Silver Dollar City. And I just want you to see the God that rains down bread. I just want to beat that drum. just want you to just lock in with this God who wants to take care of his children and show this compassion. All right, keep, we'll keep going. Verse 16. Uh, sorry, uh, continue in chapter 16. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. It's interesting. I want, you, I want him to get just enough manna or bread. This is the bread that's come down from heaven for that day. In this way, I will test them. That's intriguing language. I'm going to test them. So every time that we look at provision in the scriptures, it's amazing how often 
This idea of testing is connected to provision, finances, and stuff. I want to see whether they will follow my instructions. Huh. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And this is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So God gives us language here that he's, he's testing them. I want to see. I want to see if they're going to follow my instructions. I want them to get just enough for the day. I don't want them to, I don't want them to walk in greed. I want to give enough for the day. I want them to be da- daily dependent on me. Easy for you and I to say, once, once there's much, let's try to hoard. Let's try to take all we can get. But there's this biblical principle that we find from God. And that is, I want to, I want to see what's in their heart. I want to test them. I want to see. I, I, I think when you look at multiple stories throughout the scriptures, you find God testing to see what's in people's heart. Genesis 22, we find the story of God testing Abram, Abraham to see what's in his heart. So that's actually how it starts the chapter, that whole story about God with Isaac. And, and it's just that, that whole storyline is God says, I want to test him. I want to see what's in Abraham's heart. In Malachi 3, it's a story about the, the tithes and the offerings, and God flips it, and he goes, I just, you can test me. Test me and see if I won't. It's the idea of this test. It's, it's this idea of manna or um, provision or finance or what we have is often just a pop quiz to see what's in your heart. Deuteronomy 8 this is, if you can read this in context, this idea would be, this would be Moses' commentary later. So at the end of this wilderness season, we get in Deuteronomy some more from Moses. And Moses gives some commentary where he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? So this is post this experience. Moses now looking back, we get the benefit, hindsight, looking at it. He says, to humble and test you. Huh. So I'm going to give you provision. I want you to follow my instruction. I want you to get two days worth on the day before Sabbath. Don't get more than you need. I want to see what's in your heart. To humble and to test you in order, in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you could keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. We've got a lot that we're learning here. It's a test. I want you to learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Intriguing idea of testing. But I want to go back to the heart of God with this idea of testing because it'd be easy to hear this and think, okay, this is the kind of test that God gives. And if I pass, I'm good. And if I fail, I'm done. But this is the kind of test that every day for 40 years, you get the opportunity to pass. Oh, you missed it. You, you took too much today. You didn't follow my instruction, turned into maggots. But guess what? <laughs> There's manna tomorrow. We can try again. So he's got this father heart where he continues to take care of his people because he wants them to pass the test. He wants you to pass the test. It's not a test where he's out to crush you. It's a a test where he wants to help you. It's a test where he's helping you grow. 
This is my boy Dawson right here. He's 16. He's on the front row. And um, right now he is learning how to drive. And currently uh, he has his driver's permit. And oftentimes he and I go out in our uber cool 175,000 miles gold pilot, baby. And so uh, we go out and, uh, and Dawson will sit in the driver's seat and I will risk my life on the passenger side. And some days we get back to the house and he passed the test, right? Like mm, we, didn't, we didn't wreck it today, but we had two moments where he did not pass that test, right? We had one moment where this dude came up right up behind us and Dawson's in a neighborhood driving, learning how to drive. And this dude just is like riding right up on our bumper. And he starts, I mean, just, and Dawson's like, ah, and we hit the curb. I'm crying. Doss is screaming. It was, it was kind of awesome, but I didn't really cry. Just like, I don't know what I did. Prayed? Screamed? I have no clue. Uh, but I was doing good. And uh, failed that day. Doss. All right. Here's the coaching. Bottom line. Somebody comes up. You still got to stay in control. It's not a video game where you're just like, I'm out. You know, we hit the curb. You, just, you, still, you still have to either speed up. He tried to turn right, but we hit the curb. It was, it was hard. There's another time where I almost hit a parked car. Why? Just not, it's just like a video game. Look up and, oh, there it is. And I'm like, stop. Ah! We got back to the house. I was like, failed the day. I mean, but as a father, my goal is for him to pass. One day he's going to go to an instructor. They don't care. Pass, fail, move on, go to the next kid. Man. Sorry, man, dude, guy. And, but here's why I say that. Because you have a, as you go through this, I want you to see sometimes with, especially if you talk about provision and finance, people kind of get frustrated. And I want you to look at a father. He wants you to pass the test. He, he, he enjoys you. He, he has patience. And he's saying, you can do this. Let's just, let's reroute. Let's come after this again. And so, Let's keep going. Verse 13. That evening, I'm going to move down to verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. So now they got meat at night. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the ground. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frosted flake. No, thin flakes like frost. I'm just telling you, it is in the text. Thin flakes like frost. There's just a biblical breakfast. Thin, <laughs> thin flakes like frost. Renata doesn't believe that. Uh, Flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So I want you to distribute it in your tent. That's a whole, that's a whole sermon idea right there. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna take and you're going to distribute to others. That's a small group sermon right there, right? Okay, anyway, but the Israelites did as they were told. They gathered, some, sorry, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So I just want you to see that God gives us what we need. So I want you to see that God is patient, I want you to see God gives pop, pop quizzes. God gives tests. And the goal of the test is, is to see what's in your heart. Because we can verbalize all day long what's in our heart, and we can even think it. 
But this idea of provision, this, this shows how, how we respond to the word of God and what God tells us to do with generosity and, or how we respond to the Holy Spirit promptings that God puts in our hearts. And, and we have these opportunities to see what's in our hearts. And so there's these tests, these pop quizzes for us to see. But, but here in this, I want you to see that God gives them what they need. And one of the things that's interesting to me is the very thing that they need, they don't know what it is. Isn't that intriguing? So it's their tendency to say, we want back what we had in Egypt. So the way that we were fed in Egypt developed an addiction for us. And so we want to be fed that way. And they weren't able to even recognize God was making it rain bread. They said, what is it? They couldn't identify. I just want you to look at your own life. Because it's easy for us to look at the way, the way that it works in Egypt and say, I'm going to do it that way instead of being dependent on God. It's easy for us to say, ah, I sat around with big old pots of meat and you falsely identify the past. Maybe even if you did, maybe, maybe, maybe it really was all you can eat as a slave in Egypt. I doubt it. But even still, you have in the wilderness, God providing from heaven. And it's a strange story because you've got in the wilderness, God flipping everything. Instead of the desert where there is no food and the Nile River where there's all the vegetation and the good life, God brings plagues on Egypt and God provides water and manna and miraculous taking care of his people in the wilderness. And it's a picture far better dependent on God in a place that's challenging than going back to depending on the world's ways. And God can do a miracle in your life. He can take care of you. He wants you to follow his instruction. He wants you to see him what he's like. You are compassionate. You are patient. You are loving. You, you give pop quizzes. You wanna see what's the, what's the purpose of the quiz you want me to pass? You wanna see what's in my heart and you will take care of me. He gives, he gives what his people need. We often want God to just give us what we want. And that's what they wanted. God, come on. Give us some of the meats and the pots like Egypt. I don't want this bread from heaven. What is it? That's very tempting for all of us. But God gives you what you need. So as you grow in dependence on God, then the way that you live your life shifts. No, it's not about what I want. And that's challenging because... I'm a consumer. I live in America. I go to Target. I put gas in my car. I, I have Amazon Prime. I'm, I'm marketed to just like you are. And in our culture, we're told to live for what we want. But that's not a kingdom principle. That's not what we read in the word of God. My wants are to decrease as the lordship of Christ increases so not my will, but yours be done. I'm a bondservant saved by grace. God, I want what you want. It's a transformation into doing life differently and having my wants transformed instead of my wants into God's wants. And that's a different way of living life. That's a way of trusting in God. And God, you take care of me. You provide for me. You're at work in my life. You're the provider. And I think it's good to point out here that God gives them everything they needed. Like, it wasn't like there wasn't enough manna. I mean, it was all over the ground. 
but it didn't run dry. Like he gave them all that they needed because I feel like there's a narrative in our culture, in the world that says, um, do, do the world's life and um, you'll have fun. Do Christianity and it's not enjoyable. Now, I, and I think that sometimes, especially young people, it's easy to buy into that myth into that idea. I remember talking to one man, and that was the language that, that he used as we sat there over coffee. He said, I think it's about time that I straighten up my life and get into church. Okay, so it, it, on, on the surface, that feels good, but when you drill down deep into motive, w- the way that he's looking at it is, I really love the world, but I should do the hard, miserable thing and go to church, right? And, and here's Christianity. Christianity is not that. Christianity is... No, no, God rescued me out of Egypt where I was a slave to the things that just controlled me and pushed me down. And God rescued me because he delights in me. He put me into a new place where he supernaturally takes care of me, where it is, it is cloudy. Right? That's even biblical, right? Led them by a cloud. Anyway, cl- cloudy with a chance of bread. Sorry, so much cheese. I was a youth pastor for a long time. Uh, and... and and God takes care of me, and God provides for me, and it's a miraculous way of living, and I walk in relationship with God, and it's God first, and that's the Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. I seek God first. I follow him, pillar of cloud, fire by night. I follow God, and all these things will be added. Oh, and he just decides to rain down bread. We're going to keep moving, and he starts giving water from a rock, He just likes to take care of his children. But he's got a few principles. He says, let's get these right. I want you to obey. And and I think that the the world often just gives us this narrative that's like, it's not as enjoyable to follow God. It's not as exciting. And and I won't have as much. I won't have as much pleasure. I won't have as much fun. I won't have as much stuff. And I know, I know this is tricky and everybody's scared. What's he going to say? You know, this is like, this is, this is, churches divide over this kind of stuff. Here's what I am saying. I think we have a father that loves to give good gifts to his children. I think when I read, when I'm just reading the Exodus to, to talk to you guys, I'm blown away that he's so patient and that he's so kind. I read Jesus and Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, he, doesn't, he doesn't have 5,000 plus women and children and feed half of them. He, he feeds all of them and there's 12 basketfuls left over. Like one for Peter, one for James, one for John. I mean, I don't know what they're for, but, but, but there was more than enough. And I just think that God, I, I think there's that story. He does that with Elijah. He has, even has Elijah, ravens bring food to him. First Kings 17, there's the story where God just has the, the oil, just keeps, as long as you just keep walking by faith, I just keep filling up with oil. So many stories about God's provision. And I just think it's a great opportunity for you to say, I'm going to step out in faith, do this, thing the God, do this thing God's way, do life God's way, put all that I have in God's hand and let God take care of me. God wants to take care of me. He is patient. He wants to see what's in my heart. He's not necessarily committed to giving me the American dream, but he will give me the kingdom dream, which far surpasses the American dream. And that's what lasts forever and ever. That's, that's what goes on and on. And so... All right, let me keep moving here, but there's, because I, I, I want to I shift and give a few practical ideas as we move forward on, 
on your relationship with God on, on, and go from physical, in addition to, not instead of, but in addition to this whole idea of, of physical bread. This was a picture that we find in the New Testament referred to as over and over again, this idea of spiritual bread. And so I believe that we depend on God for our physical bread, our daily bread in terms of provision. But there's also this idea of God, the word of God becoming our, our spiritual bread and where that is our sustenance. That's what takes care of us. Let me just read this because Jesus makes this comment where he mentions manna and he talks about this, this very moment that we're reading in Exodus 16. Jesus said to them in John 6, very truly I say to you, it is not Moses who, who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. That's kind of confusing. So what are we talking about there? Bread and true bread. He's saying there's a greater bread. They got bread in the wilderness. Now Jesus comes and he goes, there's a greater bread. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're thinking about Old Testament. They're like, give us, come on, feast it up. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So here's Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm the bread. Feast on me. And I just want to invite you in your wilderness to, A, yeah, big point, trust in God and all those ideas about provision. And look to God as I'm going to feast on Jesus in, in the wild, in a challenging time. Last week, let's walk by faith. This week, I want you to look to God as your provider. Follow, follow what he calls us to do. Look to the word of God. Embrace it. Live it. Jesus talked about this way in Matthew 4 when, when he went into the wilderness and the enemy looks at him and says, turn this to bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. Remember that? And so Jesus is talking about this idea of, I don't live on just physical bread. I live on spiritual bread. And I want to invite you to, to have an uptick of this in your life where you go both. You go, I'm going to trust God with this idea of provision. And I think the best thing you can do in the wilderness season is get extremely close to God, get the word of God in you so that you handle even the word of God, what God is saying, what God is, what is what you read in the scriptures and you turn the scriptures into your sustenance, into your bread, like you feast on it. So the temptation is I'm in a hard time. I need to I need a pizza. I'm in a hard time. I need a donut. I'm in a hard time. I need Krispy Kreme. I need something to, because it's so hard. And, and this is a shift towards, I'm in a wilderness season. I need the word of God. I need, I need God. And Jesus talks that way in the wilderness. So if you could start to think that way, then actually the scriptures don't just become what the preacher talks about on Sunday or a nice scroll on Instagram where someone puts a Bible verse up but where you alone with God have the word of God and it starts to mean something to you and you're living on it. You're turning the truth into bread. It's like God's doing that. Oh, I'm, I'm feasting on it. One of the moments for me, uh, when I was in college, I had a, I had a, a month where my, the ministry that I was a part of was in transition. The pastor at the local church where I was serving as the youth pastor was in transition. My parents uh, moved to Seattle. Renata broke up with me <laughs> and kind of. She went to an internship that required her to break up with me. She didn't really break up. But anyway, you know how that goes, interns. And so, uh, 
And I just remember, it was like, I thought it was like the darkest day, right? So I'm sitting at Java Dave's in Oklahoma City, and I decided, since I was having, like, I, I just thought that moment, I am Job. Like, <laughs> I'm Job. And so I just started to read the book of Job my sophomore year. And uh, as I read Job, I realized his scenario was a little bit more difficult than mine. Um, <laughs> But I'll never forget when I got to Job 19, and I just read this where it says, um, engrave this on a rock, write it forever. I'm just going to quote it my way, because I memorized it wrong. I don't know. That's not a good thing to tell as a pastor, but as a college kid, since I was in college, it was okay. But the way that I memorized it was this, write this on a rock, for I know that my Redeemer lives. and the end, he will stand on the earth. And though my flesh should be destroyed, get with my eyes, I will see God. And I would walk around in my kind of brave heart gladiator kind of way around my campus and just go, though my flesh should be destroyed, get with my eyes, I will see God. Write that on a rock, sucker. You know, like, mm, mm, put that on iron tool. And that's, that Job 19 kind of got in me during, during that year, which honestly was a challenging year, but it, it became bread. It became my bread. Like it wasn't my bread at the cafeteria. It was my bread as I walked around campus. It was my bread as I was by myself more than I'd ever been alone before my whole life. And that's, that's what it looks like. It's like you start to feast on something different. You're feasting on God. So I invite you, I invite you just three, three tips moving forward, three practical things. One is I wanna invite you to spend time with God each day and have daily time with him where you feast on his word, just like that Deuteronomy 8, where you feast on God, spend time with him. I had a pastor friend of mine, and, and he actually called it daily manna. So some people say, did you do those devos? Some people you know, do some kind of like God time, meeting with Jesus, uh, solo time. He called it daily manna. And here's what I like about the daily manna. It's every day. I need to get full of the word of God. Every day, I, it becomes my bread. Listen to the way Job said it. He said, Job 23, 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. I have, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. That's a lot. In fact, there's one man in our church that he refuses to eat breakfast, Frosted Flakes, until he has read the word of God. Because it's just this principle. I'm just locking in every day. So I want to invite you to that, that daily manna. Second idea is this. I want to encourage, I want to encourage parents to think about the possibility of a, an intentional leading of your family in, in daily manna, in worship and prayer, word of God. Now, I know that sounds aggressive. And some of you go, oh, that sounds kind of strong, David. Here's the deal. Um, what we have a tendency to do is we, we tend to say, tell you what, let's pray when there's a crisis, right? Like I've led my share of online prayer meetings and prayer meetings. And, and sometimes when you ask someone, can I pray for you? Their response is, no, I'm okay. And, and, and what that means when they say, no, I'm okay, is I'll let you know when there's a problem. I'm independent, self-sustaining. I'll lean on God when there's a crisis, but when we come before God every day, it's a different way of living our lives where we're saying, God, I need you every day. You're my source. You're my sustainer. 
I don't need you just when there's a crisis. You're my daily bread. I need you every single day. And so when we lead our families into crisis, now we pray. Or we got a raise at work, now we worship. What we're training is, hey, God is something that we run to in crisis or we run to when things are good, but most of the time we live on cruise control independent of him. God helps those who help themselves. We're gonna be, we're self-sustaining. We can do this by ourselves, baby. We don't mean to, but that's subtly the root. But if you pull back and go, no, 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 all right, good days and hard days, we worship. Good days and hard days, we pray. Good days and hard days, we feast daily manna on the word of God. It's a whole different way of leading. Now, I know that takes work, and I know that in 21st century, there's different ways where you could try to apply that, but I want to invite you to take a step. Ask God and then just obey God. All right, and then third thing I want to encourage you is obey whatever God has told you to do last. Like that whole idea of instruction. We find it right here where God's looking, testing them, saying, I want to see what's in their heart. I think it's a great win when you're able to say, all right, God, what I read in your word, it's going to require faith. So you told the children of Israel, don't take more than one day. You told the children of Israel, make sure and go take double on the days before Sabbath. That was their instruction. What is the word of God telling me to do? What does it look like for me to trust God and walk with God and God be my provider? I'm tempted to live in the culture where I live for me. Greed is just normal. But for my father who has all power, has all things, and I wanna invite you just to take a step of obedience in applying what we read in the word of God, of saying, God, here, everything is yours. Take a step in listening to the Holy Spirit and following that leading, that prompting where you go, I'm pretty sure this is what God's calling me to do. Because on the other side of that is this God that goes, looky there, they're getting it. They're They're becoming dependent on me. I am their source. It's not their strength that's their source. It's not their bank account that's their source. It's not their brain that's their source. It's not their connections that's their source. God is their source. That's... That's what God wants from us. So let me say this as I close, I promise. Third closing. Uh, my buddy, Aaron Stern, he's one of the overseers here. And he tells this great story. Uh, he, he just told me we were sitting, talking over burgers. And he told me this and he got all teary when he said, I'm not gonna cry, but he did. And he said, uh, I just had to tell you that because sometimes other preachers cry. And I don't actually think you're the pre- only, anyway, so um, I'm the only one that cries. But anyway, he was telling this story about uh, how when he planted Mill City Church uh, in Fort Collins, how he had grown up his whole life in Colorado Springs. And so he'd grown up there, his parents lived there, and, and, and he would, in the first couple of years as he's going through training, getting the church started, he'd fly into Denver International Airport, and he, would talk, he told me about how there's this, this, this I-25 entrance where it says, there's a big green sign that says north to Fort Collins and then south to Colorado Springs. And he just said, there was trip after trip where when he arrived, he would look at that split right there. And he knew God was calling him to go plant this church up in Fort Collins. But he'd been a very successful pastor on staff at a church in Colorado Springs. And he had family in Colorado Springs. And he had a relational network in Colorado Springs. And he always knew that he could go back to Colorado Springs and everything would be okay. Everything would work out. And if he goes north, 
to Fort Collins, it's financial risk for his family. And he talks about how even that season he was living, they, they weren't even living like in their own residence. They were living with a family and he'd gone from having just, just more prosperity to a lot less, more influence to a lot less, more comfort for his children to a lot less. And how God was calling him to, to walk by faith and go north, but how every time he landed, he just wanted to go on south to Colorado Springs. And so he just weeps when he tells the story that time after time, it was the choice, can I go north again? And, and he says there were so many moments where he just wanted to just go back to his old job and he knew he could just make his old life just pop into place because he was so loved and had, had everything right in the springs. But he knew that God was calling him to go into the wilderness for him, a season of total dependence on God. And of course, now we can see God at work doing far more than if he'd ever stayed. And he's in God's hand. And he tells that story with joy saying this, I'd rather be in the wilderness with God, doing what God's called me to do, than just going back to what's comfortable, going back to Egypt. Now, I just want to tell you, not the color springs of Egypt, just metaphorically for the story. I want to just encourage you. Every single one of us are on a journey. And it's always easier to go, I'll fight for myself. I've got skills, gifts, talents, abilities, connections, education. I got the internet. I could figure out something. But I want to invite you to not, not, not what's my plan my way of provision, but to lean in and say, okay, God, what does it look like for me to follow you and for you to provide for me my daily bread? I want you to take care of me. I'm going to be dependent in an independent culture. I'm going to be dependent on God. And I'm going to, I'm going to commune with you just like Yahweh pulling those people in close. It's actually in the wilderness that you get closer and closer to God. It's actually in the wilderness that you look back at your life and go, I love that season. In that season, God supernaturally provided for me. God took care of me. God was with me. Probably a lot of times, even when Moses here in Deuteronomy 8 is telling the story, it's probably different in Exodus 16 when he's living it versus how much he's able to talk about what God's activity was in Deuteronomy 8 or in, in Deuteronomy after it's over. But God is at work even when you can't see it. And I want to invite you, trust him. Walk by faith. He's a provider. He's patient. He wants to see what's in your heart. He wants to take care of you. He's your daily bread. Be with him. Lead your family into being with him. Obey what he's called you to do. Don't stop. Don't quit. Amen? All right, will you bow your heads with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would help us. God, it's so easy to live in a culture that's independent of God that we slowly just do what we see. I pray, Lord, that you would open up your word to us. I pray, Lord God, that you would take care of us. I pray, Lord God, that we would love your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, for every person here today. Help them walk by faith. See a God who takes care of them, who provides for them. 
Would you just respond to the Lord? Just one thing. Just say, God, here's, I'll obey. Just one thing that you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to do. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, you've been going your own way. You've been living in Egypt. God can save you. He'll do it. What you do is you just call upon him and you say, just repeat this prayer if you want to begin a journey with Jesus. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I give you my life. Save me. I give you everything. I don't want to go my way. I want to go yours. Make me a new person. I want new life in Christ. I choose to follow you. Amen.